Um, for me anyway. So, good evening. I want to uh, thank everyone for being here tonight, and especially our visitors. Uh, we want to uh, take a moment and thank you for being here. I also want to say thank you for the opportunity to speak and for your attention tonight. Also, a good uh, thank you to Parker for he picked all those songs um, to go with my lesson tonight, and he did a great, he did a great job. So I want to answer one simple question tonight. In movies, oftentimes, the character suffers some great loss or some heartbreaking moment, and they look up at the sky and yell, what do you want from me? It always seems to be raining at that moment, too. But most of us probably have a de decent answer to this question already. Probably in about five minutes, so you and I could think and... Think of an answer to this question, but I think to answer this question, to fully understand the brevity of it, of that answer, um, we I think we have to answer two other questions first, and those are: Who is God that He can require anything of me? And what has He done for me that I should do anything for Him? So remember, we're thinking about what does he, what does he want from me? Let's start at the beginning. In Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Um, it says, it goes on there to say that um, he gives the earth form. He creates light, dry land and vegetation, the sun, the moon, the stars. Then the animals of the air, of the air and the oceans then the animals of the land, and finally see, we see there he creates man and woman in his image, there in verse 27. And not only does he create them, but he sets them over all the other living things of the earth he had just created. So first off, he is our creator. Who is he? He is our creator. Without him, all that we are and know and have does not exist. You know, when we create or invent something, we, we make it to serve us, right? An object, has no, an object has no choice. You know, it is ours. It serves us. We, we are gods. We belong to him. He is our creator. But unlike anything we create, he gives us free will to serve him or not. Of course, you know, the thought of free will leads us to Genesis 3, the fall of man. But I don't want to chase that thought uh, beyond this. So, keeping our thoughts on Genesis 1. Do you believe that God created the world for us? Do you believe that God created the world? Many in this world get hung up on that, and they do not accept this first fact of existence that existence itself came from God. Continuing, I think, in that line of thought, God, is, as this shows, is a powerful being who we have his, this historical um, record of his actions on earth, or on the earth. Just a few mentions of his power. And you know, remember, he sends rain to destroy the world in the time of Noah. We see that in Genesis 6. You know, God has the power to close and open the womb of a woman 
and even, so, even an older woman, so that she might give birth. And, and Sarah, in the case of Sarah, we see that again in, in Rachel, with Rachel in Genesis 30, with Hannah in 1 Samuel 4. And of course, we see that with Mary, the virgin, with the birth of Jesus in the Gospels. You know, he controls life. Very powerful. Uh, we can read of the, the many miracles God does for his people from the great plagues he puts on the Egyptians, the parting of the bodies of water, um, providing sustenance for millions of people from seemingly nowhere, you know, stopping the sun to extend the day, wiping out armies in such disastrous ways that nothing but the hand of God explains how that happened. So, did I miss any other displays? Oh, I miss tons, right? That's, I just, so those I just mentioned are just snippets of the Exodus and the conquering of Canaan through Joshua. There are, there are many, many times and ways that we can read of the power of God. And God, though He is all-powerful, and He has the ability to do all, and He, he can hold that over our heads, and He can wipe us out for defying Him in, in a moment but he doesn't. And beyond that, far more. Caleb looked briefly this morning in the closing of his lesson at Psalms 103. I want to look there today. Psalms 103. I accidentally left my Bible at the church building this past week, and I haven't been able to find it yet, but luckily I had a pew Bible at home. So, I have all the page numbers, like right here. So page 594, if you have the Pew Bible in front of you, Psalms 103, we'll be reading that. And remember, we're trying to answer these questions right here. Who is God that he can require anything of me? And what, is, what has he done for me that I should do anything for him? David writes these words here in Psalms 103. David, you know, the man after God's own heart. We're going to read the whole chapter. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. His acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As the Father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower in the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone. And its place knows, and its, and its place knows it no more. 
But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord. O you, his angels, you mighty ones, who do his word, obeying the voice of the, of the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers, who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, and all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Did you catch all those aspects of God? Who God is? It's one of the questions we're asking. He, I try to emphasize them as we were reading. In verse 6, um, his work, uh, he works righteousness and justice for those who are oppressed. He, who, um, verse 3, it says, he who forgives all of our iniquities. We have forgiveness there. Verse 10, does not deal with us according to our sins. David makes, I think, some qualifying statements here four times in this passage. In verse 13, it says there, his compassion um, for those that fear him. Uh, he has compassion for those that fear him. In verse 11 and 17, they stress his love for those that fear him. In verse 17 and 18, I think it caps, uh, it's kind of the cap of what we're talking about here. Uh, it says all those, um, all of those expressing his love and righteousness on those who who keep his commandments. Um, I want you to keep those statements in mind as we move on, talking about who God is and what He has done for us. Many times here, His love for us is stressed as basically being immeasurable in this text. But another verse comes to mind when, uh, to my mind, as we continue to answer these questions. Our, and of course, remember our main question: What does God want from us? You'll turn with me to John, First John, chapter four. First John, chapter four. It's on page twelve, twelve in the Pew Bible. Give me a little bit of a wrinkly. We're to read from um, starting in verse seven down to the end of verse five in chapter five. This is my probably one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible, and um, if I read it, I'm going to turn into a blubbering walrus. So I have asked uh, Caleb to read it for me, and I think this answers so many, so much of our three que of our questions right here. Shane, if you wouldn't mind switching over. 1 John 4, 7 through chapter 5, verse 5. <clears throat> Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. 
Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Thank you, Caleb. This answers so much of our, quest of our questions right here. Who is God? God is love. What has He done? He has sent His Son to be the propitiation for my sins. The, the sending Jesus to, to die on our behalf, to pay the price of our sins, it's the ultimate act of forgiveness, compassion, righteousness, mercy, and love. You know, what else has he done for me? Verse 15 here says, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him. It goes on there to say that it gives us, that can give us confidence in the day of judgment. We do not have to fear the punishment because of love. He loves us. That's what he, that's what he has done for us. He also gives us a reason to love because, because he first loved us. This reminds me of Romans 5. But God showed us his love, God showed his love for us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us first. That's why, that's what he did for me. I can't earn that. There, there's so much in here about that, that I think can answer our question. I, ho I hope you caught some on your own. We have to move on to chapter 5 there, in verse 3, here in our reading. 
For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and that his commandments are not burdensome. So how do we show our love for God? Simply, we keep his commandments. This, I think, leads us naturally to the conclusion of our main question is, what does God want from me? What does he want from me? In Matthew 22... Matthew 22, starting in verse 34, uh, right before this, the Sadducees here in this chapter have been throwing these what-if questions at Jesus, trying to get him to to slip up, and he handles them rather brilliantly and magnificently, I'd say, and um, starting there in verse 34, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first, this is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend all the law of the prophets. Who is God and what has he done for me? God is the creator. God is all-powerful. God is just. He is righteous. He is forgiving. He's merciful. He is loving. God is love. God is the Savior. And what has he done for me? He created me. He's merciful, forgiving. He's loving of me. He's righteous and just towards me. And he loves me and has provided a path of salvation for me. Because of who he is alone is all the reason I should need to do what God tells me. But because of what he has done for me, I can also see here what I should do for others. What does he want from me? He wants me to love him with all my heart, my soul, and mind, and to love my neighbor as myself, knowing that, knowing who God is and how, and how Jesus died for us, I think we can start to grasp what this means. What's this look like in the practical sense? Here are the few of the things I found. In James 1, James 1, page 1199, starting in verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of the man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive the meekness, receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who 
intent, who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. said there, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Be doers of the word. And there in the bottom, a doer who acts. So what's something else he wants of me? To not only hear the word, but to do it. So need to study these words and do them. Being a Christian, I think, is, is more about... Um, is more about what we do rather than what we don't do. Right? The world sees us at first and knows we're different by what we don't do, but that doesn't necessarily make us a Christian. What we do is what I think makes us a Christian. First, we, we, we give up. You know, yes, we give up sins of the flesh uh, for Christ, but there are people out there who do whatever ungodly thing you could think of for their own reason, they might not do that. But that doesn't make them a Christian, right? It's what we do that makes us a Christian. We put God first in our lives. Where? You know, in our careers, do we put God first? Yes, we should. In our family, Absolutely. In, in finding a spouse, absolutely. There's inst- instructions on, in the end of Ephesians for, for family. Finding the, the right person and, and living in, in, a godly, in a godly way with your spouse. You know, do we, and how we interact with others, especially. No, that's not, an always, that's not always an easy thing for me. I, I struggle there. But God should be evident in those things. In, G- in Matthew 5, Jesus, um, Jesus there, he's talking about, in Matthew 5, 27, he's actually talking about lust there. But in verse 27, it says, So um, you have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks on a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This is the part I wanted to focus on. If your, eye, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. I know he's talking about lust here specifically, but I, I don't think it's a stretch to see that this a pr- principle implies a principle applies involving all sin. I don't think he I don't think here it's saying to start chopping off hands and plucking out eyeballs. But our but in our hands don't actually cause us to sin. Now you know our what we think in our minds and hearts and tell our hands to do is 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 where the sin is. But the point being here is I think even something close and precious to us, even seemingly essential to us, that is sinful, and is separating us from God is something that we should remove from our life. 
You know, that might mean giving up a dream or something we've been really hanging on to and doing something else. I think that might mean um, changing careers if, if something is causing us to sin daily. That might mean separating from friends. There are plenty of things that can cause us to sin. And if we know what they are, we need to do something about them. And that means, and that might mean giving, and that means giving God priority in our lives, first priority of of my time and my actions. So, what does He want from me? He wants me to love Him and keep His commandments. He wants me to love my neighbor as myself. And I think we can look to His relationship with us for an example of that. And it has always been this way. The ideas expressed in the old law. But more recently, but still a very long time ago, in Micah, in the book of Micah, in chapter 6, um, this page 927 in the Pew Bible, it literally says there, there, what does the Lord require? It says, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will he be pleased with a thousand rams, with ten thousand rivers of oil? I don't know if I could get that much oil together. Shall I give my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? He has told you, uh, he has told you, O man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? We are to act justly, doing right. We should be kind. And instead of loving kindness, sometimes it says merciful in some translations here. In, in the last verse, in the last part of verse 8 there. It says, walk humbly with our God, meaning a servant. We're about to um, sing the song, uh, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Um, this is actually Allison's favorite song. I hadn't, uh, I'd never heard it until I met her. And I always thought, I was like, why would... It's like, why is that your favorite song? Because mine is um, uh, When Christ Arose, which is, you know, it starts real sad, but then it's huge and victorious, and it rings, and it's, it's a, such a song of victory, and, and hers just seems so sad. But it really is a powerful song. And it ends there. Um, love so amazing, so divine. It demands my soul, my life, my all. So we're saying there, a love so amazing that it demands my soul, my spirit. Demands my spirit, my life, my physical existence. A love so great that it demands all of my physical existence. My all. My time, my devotion, all my being. It is already his. And I do owe it to him. This lesson really serves as a reminder for those who have been baptized already, but I think it applies to those who have yet to put on Christ. 
If tonight you find yourself in sin and need to put on Christ in baptism, or if you need the prayers of the saints, please come forward as we stand and as we sing.